0: Welcome to the Engaged Midwife Podcast. This is Missy. And this is Kara.
1: I am actually really excited about today's topic. I'm excited that we're finally following up on a topic that we started a couple of seasons ago.
0: Yeah, like almost a year ago now. So today's topic, we're going to talk about um, management of the acute abdomen, but we're going to talk about the obstetrical causes
1: for the acute abdomen. And previously back in season four, episode eight, ouch, my belly hurts. We talked about non-obstetric reasons for the acute abdomen in pregnancy. So those were things like appendicitis. Yes, yes. Uh, Those things that are not caused because of the pregnancy, but they happen to occur during a pregnancy and cause an acute abdomen. Yeah,
0: so I think as we're talking about this, we're remembering in today's episode, yes, that these are all pregnancy-related things. Yes. What does this patient look like when they
1: come in? Well, I think it can vary depending on what the cause is, right? And some of them can be almost more physiologic, um, and it can be reactions to pain that is caused by normal phenomenon in pregnancy, but it can be experienced by the patient as significant pain. Right. You said
0: phenomenon, like phenomena, like the Muppets. Yeah. I
1: really like phenomena.
0: It's cute. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Um, I think too, the things that we're thinking about when a patient presents where they're presenting, are they coming to OB triage? Are they presenting to the emergency department? Are they coming to your office? Yes, absolutely. I feel like those that where they present to me talks about acuity.
1: Yes. Also the onset of the pain, was it sudden or has it been gradually increasing over time? I think there's some different things about how they present that can really help us in thinking about our differentials.
0: Right. And their physical exam is often going to present with pain. Yes. Potentially rigidity of the abdomen and tenderness.
1: Yes. And that all makes this a very muddy conversation. And again, the experience of that lived pain can look very different for different individuals. Right. The other problem in diagnosing the acute
0: abdomen in pregnancy is imaging.
1: Imaging is difficult because all of the anatomy has shifted and changed a bit. And so we don't always find the landmarks that we expect to see in certain locations and it can make it a little bit more challenging.
0: Also pregnancy causes like a shift in normal parameters, like all the normal things, right? So the physical exam can be different in, in pregnancy and it can be hard to understand the clinical picture. Also labs can look different because even when a pregnant person isn't infected, their white count can be up. Yeah. Um, so really looking at
1: all of the aspects that pregnancy sort of clouds Absolutely. So maybe we should just name some of the different potential types of acute abdomen that is caused by pregnancy related reasons. And then we can break them down a little bit more kind of individually. But I think some of the things that we could be thinking about are those normal phenomena like round ligament pain, Yep. like fetal movement. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think Braxton Hicks contractions. Yeah, those are the big three. I think those are the main ones that I typically think of. And it wasn't until I had round ligament pain that I truly understood how profound it could be. (laughs) Right, right. So I want to talk a little bit about anatomy.
0: I think that's helpful. And then the physiologic things that can happen that contribute to some of these normal reasons
1: for, abdominal pain. I think that's a great place to go. And then when we're finished with that, we can talk about some of the more pathologic reasons that someone could have acute abdomen. Agree.
0: Okay. So the uterus normally is a pelvic organ, right? Sits way down in the pelvis, you know, is not palpable above the symphysis. It's just a little like the size of your fist and it's tucked into your pelvis. It's protected by the pelvis really. Which is great until like late first trimester early second trimester yes and then what you notice is this sort of rapid growth of the uterus at term that can be um have an intrauterine volume of 5 liters yeah for a lot of space in a relatively short it's amount small, of time in a relatively small area so we get hyperplasia and hyper hyperplasia and hypertrophy of the actual muscle the uterus is a muscle let's not forget yeah. and the space in the uterus when we're not pregnant is just potential space right? right it's muscle layer against muscle layer so as there start to be as there starts to be more things growing inside of the uterus that muscle also gets bigger um but as it extends upward what are we displacing
1: organs all of them all all of them that are in the abdomen
0: Yeah. So all of the things become significantly displaced. So the, it puts pressure on the diaphragm, which pushes lung tissue upward. It displaces the liver. It displaces all of that beautiful colon that's happening. Right. So also
1: displaces the appendix and the gallbladder. It's putting a lot of pressure on the bladder. A, a lot of pressure. On we the get bladder. hydronephrosis in the kidneys because it slows the urine outflow. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen very typically in the abdominal area, pelvis, because of normal pregnancy growth. Yeah. Stomach, omentum, intestines all get displaced
0: upward and laterally. And the colon also can get narrowed. Think about like the pressure of the colon being amongst all of that yeah. uterine situation. So I think when we think about those things, we think like, well, it makes diagnosis of an acute abdomen hard. Mm-hmm. Although the quadrants should still look similar.
1: Right. And there are things that are going to be more common in early pregnancy that we wouldn't see in late pregnancy, and some things that are going to be more common in late pregnancy that wouldn't be in early pregnancy. And that'll help with our differentials as well. Right. So I want to talk about some things that are physiologic in the in the abdomen that are
0: like very common in pregnancy. And those are things like big GI changes, right? Delayed gastric emptying, um, reflux, mm-hmm. so much GERD, right? Bloating, nausea, vomiting. I mean, all the things that we think of, they're like so much the gas. GI things, right? About like up to 80% of women can experience those GI changes in pregnancy. Yeah. And so understanding that that's physiologic and not that can be confusing when you're working up an acute ab- abdomen, right? When you think of somebody who has appendicitis, you think they're nauseated, they're probably vomiting. Well, what if the nausea and vomiting is physiologic because of pregnancy and not because of an appendix? Gotcha. So you have to, you know, you're making this list of, you know, history and physical kinds of things, but so many of them can cross either into like normal physiologic pregnancy things and, or also be associated with things in the acute abdomen.
1: Right. Right hard to think about. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Also, I did talk for a minute about white blood cells. Like that can also mimic
1: problems like with an acute abdomen. Right, just because you get a natural elevation of the white blood cell count during pregnancy. Yep, absolutely. Particularly a significant increase as you get closer to labor.
0: Yes, and so the third trimester patient who has abdominal pain, right? what what does that look like Mm -hmm. for us? So you talked some about the, we, in our other podcast episodes, so reminder again, season, season four, four, episode, episode eight. <laughs> eight, if you really want to learn about non-obstetric causes, go there. But when we talk about obstetric causes, we're we break them into those two things, the physiologic and the pathologic. Mm-hmm. So let's dive in for a second on physiologic. Yeah. Because you were just saying, until I had
1: round ligament pain, I did not understand round ligament pain. Yeah. I mean... It can be pretty intense and it's from growth of the uterus 10, stretching.
0: Yep. Yeah, 10 to 30% of women can experience round ligament pain and it generally can, it can happen early in pregnancy Yeah, as that uterus is coming out of the pelvis. You're getting stretching of those ligaments.
1: Yeah. It's more common on the right side because the uterus kind of rotates to that right side, but it can certainly be bilateral. I love the word dextrorotate. I know me too. I love to tell people that they should listen to the heart rate of the low right side because of the rotation. and students look at you like you're so smart and so you know smart. so much. Somebody gave me a doctorate. Yes. <laughs> but that pain can radiate down into the groin. It can even radiate down into the labia and so forth. And so it can be pretty common. It's almost always lower quadrants mm-hmm. and worse in multiparous women.
0: Yes. Yes. And so when we talk about round ligament pain, there's not a lot of ways to get rid of it.
1: No. And also it is a diagnosis of exclusion. So once you've ruled out all of the really, really bad, ugly things and you're left with nothing else, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. It's um,
0: it's so interesting too, when we think about like, Gosh, it's a normal pregnancy related thing that we haven't come up with a good treatment plan for, but I tell my patients, here's another, how do you talk to your patients thing? Right. Um, I love a good bath. Yes. I love being submerged in water to get the baby
1: out of a position that might be causing you to have ligament pain. That, and then supporting supporting the abdomen, even when it feels really tiny and you feel like you don't need to support it, supporting it with position changes, rolling over in bed, going from a sitting to a standing position, that can be really helpful. I Belly also, band. I know. I was going to say the pregnancy support bands. Um, I had a love-hate relationship with mine. You could definitely tell the difference when I wore it and when I didn't, but it was hot and itchy. Not super comfy. I think they've come a long way. Yes. There are lots of, I think, better options than there were when we were having babies. Maybe so. Not a good reason to have another baby to check it out, but... But yes. But yes.
0: Um And, and Tylenol. I'm like, you yeah. know... Tylenol, lots of water, a warm bath. That's my that's my cure for Braxton Hicks and round ligament pain. Agreed. I we call them the holy trifecta in our house of pregnancy um solutions. My husband used to laugh because he would say I can answer your calls at night Two Tylenol, a warm bath and two glasses of water. And if it keeps up, call me back.
1: I think that was another podcast episode with both of our husbands. Yeah. yeah.
0: They (laughs) said they could answer our calls, but honestly, that trifecta of things, the Tylenol is the analgesia, right? Right. The hydration. And then the water, the, the, the buoyancy of the water helps with getting the pressure off of those ligaments. Agreed. So, all right, let's talk about some of the things that are scarier. Okay. So... One of the biggest things, and I think that one of the most common, especially, excuse me, early pregnancy is pregnancy of unknown location. Yes. Which most people want to call ectopic, but really the terminology is pregnancy of PUL, pregnancy of unknown location. And what do we do with that? So ectopic definitions, any pregnancy outside of the uterus, right? It doesn't matter where it is. Right. Tubal, ovarian, abdominal. Cervical. So crazy. Yeah. Yes. Um, And so it's basically when that embryo implants any place that's not in the endometrial lining. And this is 1% to 2% of all pregnancies. Um, But the number of women that this affects in terms of maternal death is big. 6%.
1: Wow. 6% of maternal death is because of ectopic pregnancy. So maternal death doesn't happen very often. No. But when it does, ectopic is an emergency.
0: Yep. Okay. And of the ectopics, 95% of them are in the tube.
1: Yes. So that's good to know too. This is usually a phenomenon- this is my big word for today, I guess, Apparently, of the first trimester. Yes. Rarely is a ectopic pregnancy going to make it into the second or third trimester without significant symptoms and needing treatment.
0: Yes. And you know, these can be totally randomly occurring with no risk factors, but women who do like the history that you can elucidate from a patient with um, a tubal is have they had like, A previous ectopic, have they had any kind of um, surgery on their tubes? Have they had PID, Um, infertility? Yeah. All of those reasons um, can cause ectopic. So that's a history taking component that's important.
1: And then usually ultrasound or imaging is going to be a key component of the diagnosis. Can you locate a pregnancy in the uterus Um, And if not any pregnancy in the uterus, is there some pregnancy that you can diagnose outside the uterus?
0: Right. So the big, the big lab here is what is their HCG? And do you see anything in the uterus? And so that will help you get to pregnancy of unknown location. Um, Most women, so up to 80% of women when they have an ectopic will present with vaginal bleeding. So it won't just be abdominal pain. It could be significant abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding. In 80% of the cases. Right. So that is a good tip off that you have a HCG, nothing in the uterus, abdominal pain with vaginal bleeding will get you towards the idea of ectopic. Um, There are other things like interesting uh, cesarean scar ectopic. Oh, yes. I've seen that recently, Um, but we can do two different things for ectopic. Um, if that's how we what we diagnose is our reason for the acute abdomen. And and by the things that we talked about, right? The right. labs and the and the ultrasound and the
1: clinical presentation, we can either treat it surgically, yes, or use methotrexate. And I find methotrexate is typically more for those like incidentally found ectopics. If someone's presenting with an acute abdomen, generally I find that those are surgical mm-hmm. cases.
0: Yes, because. The reason that the maternal death rate is 6% with ectopic is because of significant um, hem- uh, Yeah. So lots of blood collection in the abdomen um, and women can go into hypovolemic shock because of
1: ectopic. By the time they're symptomatic, oftentimes it is an emergency. Yes. Um, side note, the row, the
0: overturn of row has made management of ectopic really difficult in uh pro-life states. Yes. And working in Tennessee, mm-hmm. I can tell you it was it was really problematic
1: mm-hmm. in the beginning because every every MD was worried about litigation. I think there's worry about ectopic and missed ABs and threatened ABs and all of the different things that can happen and it has definitely complicated the picture for Providers. In Tennessee, there was a trigger law that literally
0: the second that Roe was overturned, it made it outlawed abortion in Tennessee, making this such a difficult um diagnosis yeah. for treatment in our state. Yeah. Um, it has gotten better, I think. Especially where I am, our legal team has made sure we are well protected in cases like this. Yeah. But um it's, I think we just had to pause for a second and talk about what that has, how that has changed the landscape of how we would
1: treat ectopic. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Can I really quickly, I don't feel that this is really common, but it is something that happens towards the earlier part of pregnancy and can be a cause of significant abdominal pain and acute abdomen is uterine incarceration. And it's kind of wild because I feel like I hadn't heard anything about it for years and then just recently have heard um, a couple of different instances. And I think you said the same thing, which is kind of wild. Yeah. I don't, it's just bizarre, but this is something that usually presents around 14 to 16 weeks of gestation with um, symptoms related to pressure. So significant pressure as the uterus enlarges, and it could be also a lot of difficulty voiding. This is the patient that I recently had heard about was it she was completely unable to void, and it's because of an incarcerated uterus. Um, so it could be abdominal, suprapubic, or back pain, um, and urinary symptoms oftentimes are that frequency and in, incomplete, emptying, um, voiding really, really small volumes or urinary retention.
0: Also, the reason that people have pain with uterine incarceration is literally that as their uterus has grown, it should be growing
1: up in the abdomen and it's stuck It gets, in like the bony pelvis. Right. It gets stuck on the sacral promontory. So it's kind of more that like retroverted retroflex kind of idea. And it gets stuck behind the sacral promontory. Right. And that can be released. Yes. And it should be. Yes. And once it is, it generally fixes the problem. Yes. (laughs) Um, But again, uterine incarceration, if that is suspected, that is definitely a referral out for surgical intervention. Yeah. Am I missing anything else in early pregnancy that you think we should hit on? So we can talk for a minute about torsion because I think
0: it can happen anytime in pregnancy. That's a good point. So this is uterine or ovarian torsion can be causes of abdominal pain in pregnancy. Um, And uterine torsion happens when you get greater than a 40% axial rotation of the uterus. Um, Sometimes it happens with fibroids. Yeah. And sometimes it also happens after you've done an ECV. So aversion oh. on a patient.
1: Oh, I've never seen that, thankfully.
0: I know, right? Um, so also this can be serious because people can look shocky if they've got uterine torsion. Um, but they also can have, like you were saying, urinary or bowel complaints with yeah. their torsion. Um, It can cause this vasovagal shock Mm -hmm. and think about all the vessels that are in there. Your baby is going to be really unhappy yeah, um, because you've cut off its blood supply. So it's got fetal asphyxia. That sounds horrible. So um, sometimes with ovarian or not ovarian with uterine torsion, you don't, it's not severe and you don't need to do anything except for rest and analgesia. Um, But obviously, um, If the patient is term, we may need to, you may need to do a C-section to
1: correct and for maternal and fetal health. So wild. So wild. I have definitely seen ovarian torsion during pregnancy and this patient did look acutely ill, like just significant pain and kind of that writhing all over. I'm almost acting like what I kind of typically think of as an abruption, but she was second trimester and it made no sense to any of us. And it ended up an ovarian torsion, which again can be needing surgical intervention. Yes. Like right at the time. Yes. Um,
0: And so, you know, as you are, working at the acute abdomen and, and you, if you have any suspicion that's torsion, you need to at minimum be um, collaborating with a
1: surgeon right, to be able to like, look at those things. And, you know, a lot of times with patients that um, have maybe pretty large ovarian cysts at the early ultrasound, you've, you know, Maybe they don't have any symptoms, but on early imaging, you've noticed a large cyst. You're just going to be more concerned. Typically, those cysts resolve during the pregnancy. But if they enlarged, those patients with large um, ovarian cysts are going to be more at risk of torsion.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So there's three big ones that are like later in pregnancy. And then one at the end that I just want to kind of tack on because it doesn't happen very often, but if it did, it's got a really high morbidity rate. So let's go back to, um, abruption because the thing you learn early in pregnancy is painless, bright red bleeding and dark red, painful bleeding. Right. And what the difference is between previa and abruption. Right. And so- Abruption is when that um, placenta
1: prematurely separates from the uterine wall and it is an obstetric emergency. It can happen centrally as a separation, or it can be more along an edge and they may present very differently with or without bleeding. And an abruption is less than 1% of all pregnancies. It's like 0.06. Also,
0: I learned this from a very smart doctor when I was training. She'd be like, Missy, is ultrasound a good indicator for abruption? No. And she said, nope, no. Less than 5% of women can be diagnosed with abruption on ultrasound, so don't bother. Um, it's really a clinical picture, and it has to do with bleeding and pain. Yeah. Although concealed abruption is scary
1: because it can delay. Right. Um, Diagnosis. But I kind of see that classic picture of that patient that is writhing all over the bat. They cannot get comfortable in any position. And they've got like tachycystole, um, uterine contractions just banging them out on the monitor. It's kind of that classic picture of abruption.
0: Yeah. Uh, their abdomen is tense and tender. You know, their heart sounds might, it might sound like the baby's in distress. The mom is in distress. Interestingly enough, my most recent abruption um, patient had an epidural. It was a grand multip, And the only pain she had not had pain the whole day with her epidural. And then all of the sudden had very intense peri pain.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: And had an, an, an anterior placenta. Oh. And so her baby was in distress. We sat at her and it was just like all the blood. Baby was fine. Mom was fine. But even in a patient with an epidural, you can see abruption. Yes. Agreed. Um, So let me talk about abruption for a second in terms of risk factors. So things that we're thinking about, what could narrow the placental vessels enough to what I say, blow the placenta off of the uterine wall, which is Mm preeclampsia, cocaine. I was going to say drugs. Yes. Yeah. Drugs. Um, Cigarettes actually Mm -hmm. can do that premature rupture of membranes um, and some uh, antiphospholipid antibodies. So depending on like if anybody has like connective tissue disorders, Um, the other one that's really interesting and it's got a low incidence, but it's interesting to consider is. Um, Somebody who has polyhydramnios that has had like a sudden rupture of membranes and the
1: membranes or the um, fluid just comes so quickly that it takes the placenta off. It decompresses and causes an abruption. Similar in like an automobile accident or any abdominal trauma when you could have that sudden change in the shape of the uterus or compression can cause abruption as well. Yeah. So the biggest thing about these people
0: who abrupt is getting them to the OR as fast as possible. Yes. That's it.
1: Delivery is the fix.
0: Eminent delivery. Yes. Yes. Um, Also making sure that your patient, if they go to the OR, when they get to the OR gets two IVs, Mm -hmm. like we treat this patient like they're going to be in shock. Yes. So um, I also like to remind students that a baby only has the circulating blood volume of a can of Coke. It's 12 ounces. Wow. That's all a baby has in their whole body. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It does not take long for a baby to bleed out. So if you're suspecting abruption, you need to be in the OR sooner than later.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So that goes for all the things, right? Right. Vasa previa, bleeding after you rupture somebody's membranes, Mm -hmm. any of those things, because you have to think how quickly a baby can bleed out. Right. Doesn't take long. Right. To bleed out 12
1: ounces. And you can't really differentiate fetal blood loss and maternal blood loss at that point. No, no. So profuse bleeding you're going to the OR.
0: Yes. Agreed. Another reason for acute abdomen in pregnancy is uterine rupture. Now, interestingly, we see most of this with people who've had previous, um, uterine surgeries. So, um, it could be that they had a C-section or a myomectomy, but anything that they've had done to their uterus can be a risk factor for uterine rupture. Um, It's pretty, if you have a primary rupture, meaning you've never had anything done to your uterus and you ruptured your uterus, it's pretty infrequent. Mm -hmm. One in 10,000 to one in 15,000 live births is not very high. Um, But it's important to recognize this quickly as well. Signs and symptoms. So loss of station. Yes. Right. That's the big one. Significant pain. Significant pain, even with an epidural. Right. Right. Um, Bleeding. Yes. So vaginal bleeding, <clears throat> blood in the in the Foley. So a lot of times we see like blood in a Foley when a patient's complete right. and their baby's low, it just starts to put a lot of pressure on the bladder. But interestingly enough, the last two patients that I've seen in the OR with uterine rupture have also ruptured their bladders. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you get a significant amount, like Frank
1: blood in the
0: Foley. Yeah.
1: And then you start to see fetal distress. I was just going to say fetal heart rate changes, but I feel like sometimes that can take longer than you would anticipate.
0: Yes. A lot of people are like, well, "Why my baby looks fine. Right. your baby might look fine because its placenta is still holding on, but it's going to tank quickly. Right. Also then maternal shocky
1: things, right?
0: Yes. Tachycardia, those kinds of things. Just as you mentioned.
1: Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, the patients that I have seen with uterine rupture still had pain despite their epidurals. And so I think some people, and I've heard of practices and facilities, not wanting their patients that do TOLAC to be able to have epidurals because they don't want it to mask. That has not been something that has been able to be masked in my experience in the past. Right. So The other
0: consideration is a lot of women with an epidural won't feel significant pain until they have a lot of blood in their abdomen, Mm
1: -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah,
0: My most, the one that's most vivid in my brain. And and I, I, I I almost wish I would have asked her to come and be a guest on this podcast because she has, she would have some really interesting things to say. Um, But she didn't really have a lot of abdominal pain. Mm. She was like, what do you mean my uterus is ruptured? I'm like, you're like, we got to go. She's like, I don't feel anything. Right. But like loss of station, all the blood, all the things. And I don't think she had ruptured when we left the room. I think she had a significant window uh-huh. and did not rupture until like right as soon as we got to the OR. But she did not have any abdominal pain. Interesting. So that's interesting. But it's um what we will see most in terms of fetal status is a lot of variable decelerations and then significant bradycardia with baby. Yeah. Um, so also, right, we have to think about our patients who are toe lacking. Do you toe lack after one c section? Mm-hmm. do you toe lack after two? Mm-hmm. What does that look like, and what does your um you know what does your facility allow you to do
1: and while we do know that there is increased risk in patients that have a scarred uterus, it still is not a significant phenomenon. We don't end up seeing like a huge number of uterine ruptures. It's just that when they do occur, they're more likely in patients that have had a prior cesarean section.
0: Right. Um, and you know, you'll know, you see a lot of MM&I on uterine rupture because we're like, could we have done something different? Should we have done mm-hmm. something different? When in reality, you could do everything right and right. they could still have a uterine rupture. Right. Um, all right. So again, to the OR, baby out, mom stable, yeah. the things to do. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to talk about two things about acute abdomen that, um, have to do with like the liver.
1: (laughs) Not good. No.
0: So one is non-alcoholic fatty acid, right? Fatty. Yeah. Fatty liver. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Fatty liver. Mm -hmm. The others help. Right. And, you know, preeclampsia can go in there too, but But also I think when you are talking to a patient about preeclampsia, the likelihood is, is that you're diagnosing them based on neuro criteria, blood pressure criteria, and not just on the fact that they have right upper quadrant pain. Right. So I've left preeclampsia kind of off of this because a patient can be preeclamptic and not have transaminitis. Right. So they may just have, Elevated blood pressures and, uh, you Neuro- know, neurologic symptoms and a headache yeah. mm-hmm. that won't resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, Or they may just have a P to C ratio that's, you know, above 0. 0.3 and high blood pressure and get induced for preeclampsia. Exactly. So the liver kinds of things that acute abdominal pain that comes from the liver is an afterthought, quote unquote, of preeclampsia for me. I'm thinking about bigger things like heartburn that you can't get rid of with Tums, headache that you can't get rid of with Tylenol, blood pressure, P to C ratio, those kinds of things. Because
1: the transaminitis can be significant, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. But I do know that when I see those liver enzyme changes, I'm really concerned because that's end organ damage.
0: Well, so let's talk about help. Okay. Because it's in the definition.
1: Right. Hemolysis. Elevated
0: liver enzymes. Low platelets. Help. Help. And so help is challenging. Um, and you are thinking a lot about it. The big, the biggest thing I think, in terms of danger outside of transaminitis and those elevate those liver enzymes being extraordinary. It's almost like your liver's like, I'm going to explode now. Right. Is the low platelets. Right. Especially in vaginal delivery, but more specifically if the patient has to go to the OR. Right. The other thing with HELP syndrome is it gets progressively worse
1: with each pregnancy. Yeah. Same partner. The interesting thing I found about HELP too, is that while you will sometimes see elevated blood pressures and kind of have a clue that it's like worsening preeclampsia, sometimes there's no hypertension to go along with it. And it just presents more as an acute abdomen yeah so
0: help syndrome you can end up with liver hematoma mm-hmm. and rupture and that those can that can cause significant abdominal pain. so that's really what we're thinking about when we talk
1: about help. I've seen it once and I don't ever want to see it again
0: yeah and these patients very much present with upper right quadrant pain yes um and it can be significant lots of nausea and vomiting too yes. So other complications that go along with help are things like acute in- kidney injury, a um, pulmonary edema, mm-hmm. um, eclampsia, and abruption. So like, think about oh. the the whole workup with help, right? Is that if your patient comes in and the first thing you do is a CBC mm-hmm. and liver enzymes, and you see that their platelets are 30 and their liver enzymes are in the hundreds, you should be thinking about help. Absolutely. And the cure for that- is delivery. Yes. Period. Depending on the severity of help, they can be induced. Yes. But in severe help, they need to be sectioned. Yes. So again, that whole idea of referral or at least close collaboration with a surgeon. Yes. Agreed. So, um, we, um, yeah, help
1: and, fatty liver. So the acute fatty liver of pregnancy is kind of interesting. Um, It typically occurs after 20 weeks gestation. It's normally in the third trimester and it does show up with significant nausea and vomiting in about 50% of patients, um, abdominal pain that is really more epigastric, which makes sense. And then anorexia and jaundice. A third of patients will have jaundice with that acute fatty liver pregnancy. And about 70% of these patients have signs of preeclampsia, which is interesting. So it's still, again, muddying that picture between the liver and preeclampsia. Liver. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. So usually the diagnosis is made clinically, um, on how the patient presents and then their laboratory and, um, ultrasound imaging. Um, you may see increased levels of the, um, liver enzymes as well as bilirubin and uric acid, ammonia and creatinine. And then they also, often, oftentimes do have some of those, um, bleeding abnormalities or, you know, Prothrombin clotting disorder kind of things as well because of the liver and what takes place there.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I, I have failed to mention that in a lot of these cases, we've been talking about liver enzymes and H and H and CBC and those kinds of labs. But I think that those, um, clotting kinds of things, PT, PTT, INR, Mm -hmm. fibrinogen are important when we're thinking about some of these uh, acute abdomen. Absolutely.
1: So, what do we do about fatty liver in pregnancy? Well, I think because it oftentimes also is occurring with preeclampsia and similar findings, delivery is the answer for this as well. Okay, great. The only thing I want to mention
0: that is also super rare and but has a very high morbidity and mortality is abdominal pregnancy. So, it's the incidence is about 10 in 100,000 or in 10,000 births but it has a 50% perinatal mortality rate. Wow. Um, and um, in five of 1,000 co- of cases has very catastrophic effect for the mom and the baby. Um, the biggest thing with abdominal pregnancy is this persistent pain mm-hmm. and pain every time the fetus moves. Oh. That would make sense, right? Yeah. Because if your baby is not encapsulated in a muscle... It doesn't have that protection. No. And neither does your abdomen, right? your organs. So they might have abdominal tenderness. You might really be easily able to feel feel parts, which Mm -hmm. would seem really odd, right? Uh Um, They might not contract because obviously their uterus, it doesn't have anything in it. Um, But honestly, again, you need to operate. And it also depends on if the fetus is alive. So fascinating. If... um, They actually say in the guidelines that if the fetus is, if there's a fetal demise, that you wait to operate until you can stabilize the mom. So that's really interesting, too. Um, It's fascinating. This is why I tease about like if I have a baby, it's attached to my liver, right? Abdominal pregnancy. I
1: um, am really glad that I have not seen that. And I hope that I don't. Yes.
0: So we do a lot of ultrasound in pregnancy. But when we talk about imaging, because we talk a lot about the acute abdomen and what we need to do in terms of imaging is to understand that we can do what we need to do for the safety of the mom and the baby, which generally is ultrasound and CT. Right. Um, so just understand that those are, um, those are kind of your gold standards. We use CT a lot, especially for women who have had trauma to their belly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we really want to know what's happening, you know, in all of the abdominal organs. Um, So just be, be aware that that is an option. Um, And x-ray is an option too. So low doses of, um, of radiation to babies. So um, also, If needed, we can do, um, MRI as long as the, as long as the dosing for the, um, can't get the right word out of my mouth. The radiation, radiation, there it is. Oh my goodness. Maybe it's time to stop for the night. Maybe, um, as long as the dose of radiation is low. So there are guidelines, um, and, and your physicians and your radiologists should know those. Well, and it's
1: really risk benefit ratio. Yes. If yes. it's needed for the diagnosis and it can help us better care for the patient and the fetus, that is what we should do. Yeah. And I just like, as we close out, I just want to kind of give you a quick overview of
0: what all of the things that we've said. So if we're looking at the acute abdomen, we definitely need history, physical, right. Mm-hmm. As well as our routine blood tests, liver function. Yep. As I mentioned, the clotting, you know, factors, CBC, all of that. Yes. Is your patient stable or not stable? Yes. right? The not stable patient just needs to be worked up like they are in shock, right? Mm-hmm. Two IV lines, surgical consult, whatever imaging needs to be done, blood products, et cetera. If they are stable, we need to d- decide, are they non-urgent and can we watch this, right? Sure. Is there any other testing we need to do? Sure. Or are they urgent because they're deteriorating? Something is de- deteriorating and, and then what kinds of um, imaging can we get to? Ultimately, the cure for most of these things is surgery or surgical intervention or delivery. Absolutely. Unless we can come up with a reason for an obstetrical cause that can be managed conservatively.
1: And one of the things that I think about when I think of that is kind of a chronic abruption that is stable, fetal heart rate, so forth. But we do know that they have an abruption. Sometimes we'll watch those for a while. Yes.
0: Yes. Agreed. Okay. So, um, another thought too, that I didn't include because we didn't talk about trauma, but the reason it's trauma is the etiology for abruption. Right. So when we're, th- when we, di- when we didn't talk about trauma as reasons for an acute abdomen, it's because that is the reason for potentially abruption. Right. And bleeding. Yeah. Um, but when you think about trauma, or bleeding in an obstetrical patient, a KB is important too, yes. if
1: the, especially if the mom is RH negative. The Kleihauer-Betke test, which can tell us how much circulating fetal blood cells are in the maternal circulation. Right. So um, trauma is one of the leading
0: non-obstetrical causes of death in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So we have to be aware
1: of that trauma piece as well. Right. So anything else? Yeah. Um, I think we've done a really nice job of, ouch, my belly hurts part two. <laughs>
0: Agree. <laughs> so thanks for joining us on this episode of the Engaged Midwife podcast. We can't wait to talk to you again. Take care.